<coughs> Podcast Network Asia. Seize the key. Confidence. If you are confident, then this job is for you. If you are confident, even though you don't know the actual training content, if you are confident to engage with top executives, then this job is for you. My name is Vincent Benedicto. I am an assistant vice president in SM Development Corporation or SMDC. I'm here to define the job of a learning and organizational development practitioner. We are here to answer questions and debunk job descriptions by interviewing professionals so we can put an end to our career search. This is Job Defined. I normally start off with this question. What was your childhood dream, uh, Vincent? Ah, good question. But, ah, childhood dream. I, when I was young, I, I wanted to be an artista. An actor, because that's what I see on TV. Although I'm, I'm grateful to the industry because not the, ano, ah, not the showbiz industry, but it's more of the modeling industry because I was able to do a few commercials throughout the years. Until now, I'm, I'm relatively active in that industry. But you're asking me about my childhood dream. That's really be to be an artist, <laughs> which, which obviously never happened. Okay, I'm curious. What made you want to be a, an artist? Ah, that's what I see on TV. But you know. That's just the output. I didn't realize that there's just so many preparations that happens before you, you act on camp. Even the editing part of the scenes, that also takes a toll on the, the director, the casters, the producers. What I only saw so at that time was the output. But then I, I've come to realize through, through work experience and by being a, a talent myself, You know, there's just so much effort exerted or put into all the things that happen before and after the acting part. Same as the work that I'm doing right now. So speaking of the work you're doing right now, how did you end up in your current career? Well, I'm a, you can say I'm a trainer, you know? but nowadays I, I rarely conduct trainings because I, I need the team that uh, conducts the training. So I need a bunch of uh, trainers. But uh, when I started in this uh, in this field, I was actually a process owner of a, a shared services company. So I wasn't really a trainer at that time. But they gave me the opportunity to to lead a project. And when, of course, when you lead a project, you get to present that project to the leadership team. So fortunately, uh, the leadership uh, team saw the potential of the product, or the product rather, and also my potential as a trainer. Because I was presenting it properly, I think I, I used the correct format of presenting it. It started with the, with the intro, the body, and the, the conclusion. So the project was successful. The product was sold out to the, to the market. At the same time, they gave me the opportunity to be a trainer in the same company, but just as a part-time uh, trainer. So I was conducting trainings once a month to the new hires of that company. So I wasn't a full-time trainer yet. But made me realize I can do this on a more regular basis in the long run. So can you say that it was your turning point where you told yourself, yes, this is for me? Or was there another, this is a story. <laughs> was there another turning point where you told yourself, yeah, yeah. training is for okay. me? So I, this is a shallow story, but this was my turning point. So I'm, I'm going to be very honest about it. I conducted the training on that day. So it was a Friday. So after that training, I went to the club with my friends. So I think that was in Eastwood. When Eastwood had a lot of clubs back then. So 
at that time, we were relatively young. It was it was challenging for me and my my group of guy friends to approach girls in that month. I told myself, okay, I conducted the training the whole day today in front of 20 people and I nailed it. Why can't I approach a girl here randomly, just one person, not 20 people, introduce myself and make a conversation with her? I told myself, if I have the confidence to conduct in front of so many people, I should have the confidence to be able to initiate a conversation with just one person. So that was my turning point. It gave me the confidence not only to eventually approach random strangers in the club, but it also gave me confidence generally in life. So that was my turning point. What was the turning point? The approaching part? or the? <laughs> <laughs> it gave me the confidence that, okay, I can... If I am able to train a lot of people, I will be able to approach other people. I'll be able to conduct more trainings in the future. I'll be able to initiate conversations and learn from those conversations. So all of these things, uh, they just accumulated throughout the years. And then it made me realize, okay, this is what I want to do. When I started conducting trainings also, aside from that incident in the club, I've also seen people getting promoted in the office. And sometimes I attribute it to the trainings that I've conducted to them because they were able to gain skills, develop capabilities, you know, acquire new bodies of knowledge or pieces of information. So in effect, I was able to contribute to their career advance. Then I realized this is like a, it becomes my passion. This becomes something that lets me earn my salary at the same time help colleagues that surround me. So when a promotion comes and they announce as, you know, the next manager, the next senior manager, I feel happy about it. I feel satisfied because I was able to contribute to their development. And then I realized, okay, this is something that I can do because it's not only helping myself, but also helping people around me. Okay, so... so on a more serious note, that was my turning point. Hi, I'm RJ Ledesma. Get inside the heads of the country's sharpest and most innovative business personalities and entrepreneurs. Hack your way to success as you learn more about how they think about business. What are their best practices and success secrets? How do they innovate their businesses during the pandemic? And what opportunities do they see in the new normal? Join me on the RJ Ledesma podcast. From going from the shallow start to the deeper end, is that yeah, the, yeah. is that the deeper side of decision why you wanted to be a trainer? Really impacting Actually, people's yes. lives? Because uh, just like everyone else, you like to have a sense of purpose, a deeper level of self-satisfaction. After all, we go to the office, or in my case, I go to the office every morning. I, 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 I try to wake up on the, the right side of the bed, push myself, drive to the office, dress up, and one of my motivation really is seeing people grow with me in the organization. Uh, being able to share my information, the knowledge, and see those people using those pieces of information to acquire new skills. You know what's, what's the A thing right now? They call it hashtag that. So these are people with multiple skills and expertise. So a hashtag is formed by four lines intersecting one another. Right? So two lines represent your expertise. Two lines represent your skills, and they connect with one another. So gone are the days when, 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 when employees would just have one main skill that's IT or marketing. Nowadays, people have multiple skills. They're they're IT practitioners. At the same time, they can configure products for product development for marketing. And I think 
I am able to contribute to that developing of multiple skills and expertise for the employees because I've always instilled in myself the growth mindset. So when I share pieces of information, knowledge, I'm very transparent. So I think that made me successful as a trainer and it also made others around me successful. But it doesn't end with the success because we continuously learn and grow. And that's what training is all about. Uh, continuous learning, constant development of competencies or capabilities. Working is learning, learning is working, experiential learning. Uh, you can never learn everything about one topic. There will always be iterations or increments that come with it. So for me, that's really the reason why I've decided, okay, training is for me. I am able to develop myself, develop people around all right that's a really nice way to say it so my next question is what are the three things you enjoy the most about your uh your job okay. so uh this is practical no? the first part is free food during trainings the food so, so, yeah the food uh, companies they actually offer free breakfast they call it am snacks or your morning merienda there's a free lunch sometimes it it's even buffet, you know, or catered lunch. It depends on the type of participants. And you also have what we call PM snacks or the merienda. So normally trainings, they don't offer dinner anymore. <laughs> you get to do that at home. <laughs> but, you know, as a trainer through the years, no, uh, when I conduct trainings, I get free food. So aside from, you know, not going to the cafeteria, falling in line, and uh, waiting for your turn to buy food, you also get to have lunch and have a decent, substantial conversation with the learning participants. So it's also a learning opportunity for me. I also get to connect with them on a more personal note beyond the training content in a, in a classroom. Okay, I just want to say you have a knack of turning something shallow into something deep. Because you just <laughs> <laughs> you said you wanted the food and then suddenly you went in deep uh, you went in deep by expounding that the learning opportunity while sitting down with the learning participant. Actually, I mean, it's, uh, it's actually okay, a really nice way to say it. As a trainer myself, I also do that. And then, yeah, I, I love the food. <laughs> and at the same time, the learning opportunity with the participants as well as you sit down with them. So yeah. that's one. And what's the other two? Well, actually, the second one is meeting new people, which is related to having lunch with them. Because uh, every training, no matter how similar the content, it becomes different based on the composition of the classroom or the learning participants. Sometimes trainings are homogeneous, which means that uh, the content is essentially the same. But you deliver it across many ranks, across uh, many age ranges, across uh, employees with different or varying tenures. So the demographics drastically differ or vary for every training conduct, regardless of the similarities in the training content. And more importantly, the, uh, the recitation or the contribution of the learning participants when you ask them to provide their insights, it also varies. And that makes the training very insightful, substantial, and more contextualized. So that's number two, meeting new people from different backgrounds, from different uh, age ranges. And you know, they always have something different to say that makes me as a trainer learn from them. And consequently, as a trainer, I get to improve the succeeding class in terms of content because I am bringing in with me accumulated knowledge from previous classes. So that brings me to the third part, 
of what I enjoy the most. And that's new learning. So it's a process of adaptive learning from my end. It's actually a capability that I've grown to, to develop myself, adaptive learning. Because uh, even though I've already mastered the content, it's always different. There's always something new to learn from a learning participant. Not essentially from a book, not from a handout, not even from an article, no. I, I learn the most when I listen to the, the insights of the learning participants when they recite. So for me, what's more important is not the content I deliver, but the sharing that happens in the training classroom or virtual classroom. Because that's where everyone learns the most. I agree. I love your answer on number two. I relate to it as a headhunter because um, the more people we talk to, I believe the smarter we get. And just like what you mentioned, a lot of people, different backgrounds would definitely always share something new to anyone. So that re- that's really a good insight that you've shared. And that's why it leads to learning to your number three. So yeah, my next question is, was there a part of your job that you didn't like, but learned to love, like an acquired taste? Again, a part ah. of your job that you didn't like, but you learned to love. Okay. You know, as a trainer, I conduct trainings almost on a, on a regular basis. So sometimes, pre-pandemic days, I travel to different parts of the country, conducting the same training content in different places. So the point is, even though I get to travel, even though I get to meet new people, the training content, it's generally the same. It depends on the need of the organization. So the part that I don't like really is conducting the same material all over again. Even though in a di- I do it in a different area, it still gets boring. It becomes automatic. I, I feel like I'm a robot conducting these trainings all over again. And then I don't see the end of it. Unless, of course, you've, you've already trained everyone. But normally in an organization that I'm part of, we have thousands of employees. So it's really a never-ending process, right? So how do I go about it? How do I, how do I start liking it? Well, I, I shifted my mindset or my approach from being a trainer to a facilitator. Because when you're a trainer, you share the information. Regardless if it's the absolute truth or there are errors in it, it's the same set of information that you share. And you try to enforce your, 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 your authority so that that information gets passed on to the training participant. So that was my, my role in my first few years as a trainer. But later on, I realized I can shift to being a facilitator. When you see your facilitator, it's different from being a trainer. A facilitator asks the right questions to be able to extract the most relevant, substantial, and insightful responses from the learning participants. And when these responses come out from the questions that you ask, and that's that's what makes the, 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 the learning more contextualized, more relevant. Uh, it, it becomes more realistic because as a trainer, we train coming from the book uh, content. But when you're a facilitator and when you extract information from other learning participants, it's really where I've noticed, it's really where the other learning participants learn from. They don't actually learn from me. They learn from their, their classmates. That's a realization that I've accepted through the years. So from my point of view, I now realize that I don't know everything and I will never know everything. But with the help of classroom dynamics, with the help of uh, the contribution of, of the training participants who shared their insights, 
then the training becomes more substantiated and more and more accurate and more contextualized and more relatable. Hi, I'm Misha, and I'm inviting you to listen to IMAP Digipod, the Internet and Mobile Marketing Association of the Philippines' first ever podcast. Listen in on our topics and conversations in the advertising and marketing industries and learn from the best from all over the world. This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and powered by Podmetrics. I actually have two questions coming from your answer. It got me thinking. The first one is, you said that you got uh, the repetitive task of doing the same training over and over again. I guess it can be mind-numbing. So yeah. I was thinking, if you kept doing it over and over again, how do you inspire yourself for the next batch? Because I right. think being pumped up and uh, how you present yourself as a trainer, if your mind is numb already from doing it the same thing over and over again, I think there's a certain level of stagnation there for the next batch of trainees. How do you get over that? Parang artista lang yan eh. An artista, he acts almost every day. So it's tiring, it's physically draining. But when you're on time, you have to smile. Even though you're, you're internally sad, you're internally tired. It's like a trainer. Even if you're physically draining. When I conduct trainings back in the day, it's like for eight hours straight. Three, four, five days straight. So by, by, by Friday, you're already tired. <laughs> And then you still have to do the same thing all over again the following week. But over the weekend, you have to improve on your training deck so that the, the following batch will have a more uh, seamless learning experience. It's actually a skill. You just really have to go through it. You have to put a smile on your face, although you know that it's going to be the same thing all over again. And you just, you just hope that the learning participants will be participative. They share their experiences. That's how I was going through it before but now that uh, I'm, I'm I'm more experienced in terms of learning and organizational development I have a different strategy or approach now which is actually being more strategic than transactional nowadays uh, I don't conduct trainings face-to-face or instructor-led or in a classroom because uh, because of the pandemic so we, we innovate which is actually a good thing for us. So instead of conducting trainings in the classroom all over again, the skills of trainers nowadays have shifted to digital learning or digital trainings. So instead of having those what we call ILTs or instructor-led trainings, we've shifted to conducting live virtual classes, self-paced online courses. Therefore, it entails or requires the trainers to acquire a new skill, which is electronic course development. And because of that, opportunity to acquire a new skill, we're not doing things all over again or the same thing all over again. So nowadays, uh, trainers are more are supposed to be equipped with uh, e-course designing, storytelling, creating storyboards, being able to create a digital online learning management system. So the, the skills of a trainer have now shifted from home skills or facilitation skills to generally technical, digital, virtual learning skills. Even in uh, the academy, teachers have also shifted to that. So we're, we're lucky or fortunate. I'm just seeing it from a positive side that we're able to not do things all over again in, in, repetitive, in a repetitive manner. Rather, we are given the opportunity 
to develop new virtual and digital skills. Okay, thanks for that. My next question is, when you were discussing about trainer and facilitator and the way you were sharing it there was there seems to be a transition between from trainer to facilitator and there seems to also to be an act of letting go of the ego because you mentioned oh, yeah. earlier the transition from trainer to facilitator there in my opinion there was there seems to be an act of letting go of the ego and it takes a certain level of humility to do facilitating what are your thoughts well about uh, if you're in the classroom and people see that you're relatively young. And then these learning participants are maybe in their mid-40s, early 50s, and you're still in your late 20s, early 30s. Sometimes the credibility is compromised just because of your age or how you look like. So at that time, I would actually intentionally grow my facial hair just to look older. <laughs> and uh, hopefully it gets to establish my credibility as a trainer. But I later on realized that I don't need to establish credibility as a trainer because I don't, I understood and I realized that I don't know everything. And there's always a point in time in that learning session wherein a person would know more than me. If you're a trainer, you have to understand the fact that you don't know everything, no matter how many pages of or chapters of a book you read, no matter how many articles you go through in the internet, you will never know anything. Because by default, people who are generally older, they have more experience. Trainings are generally scenario-based or situational. So, for example, if you conduct a training on coaching and you're relatively young, or you conduct a training on leadership and you're relatively young, you're conducting trainings to leaders themselves. Your, your credibility is already compromised from the onset. So you really have to understand, okay, these people, they really know more than I do. And you shift to being a facilitator. So rather than teaching them the frameworks, the, the business models, the, the acronyms of how to properly coach their people, you ask them, uh, what is your approach when you coach people? They will give you an answer. When they answer, you ask the other participants, how can you further improve that initial coaching model? So people will add to that initial output. And then that output just constantly grows. It accumulates in terms of knowledge and best practices. And that's what you build. And take note, I did not build it myself as a trainer. I let people around me build it as a facilitator. All right. That's one way of saying it. That's, thanks for sharing that. You mentioned earlier, when I asked you about, about my questions earlier, na sabi mo parang artista lang yan eh. and I would like to go back to your childhood dream is there some do you think there's some sort of connection between your childhood dream and what you're currently doing right now okay that's a good question Pat no ang artista they have a script to memorize ang trainer you have your facilitator notes to be familiarized with ang artista they act in front of the camera uh, ang trainer you, you, you train or facilitate in the classroom or in a in a virtual channel like Google Meet, Zoom, uh, Microsoft Teams. Uh, so at least uh, the output is uh, on TV or on a digital channel, Facebook, YouTube, wherever, social media. For trainers, our output is different. How do you know or where do you see the effect of your work? It's, it's not on TV. It's not on social media. As a trainer, I see the output or the effect of my work when I see people advancing in their careers. Because I try to always attribute training to their to their development. There are other ways for you to be able to see the positive effects of training. 
Sometimes you can indirectly correlate it to revenue generation. Sometimes if you're doing trainings in-house rather than engaging in a, an external partnership with an external learning provider, you save on costs. Sometimes uh, internal trainings that you produce in-house are also being sold to the market. So that's letting the company generate revenue. Sometimes uh, trainings can also be conducted through CSR channels, corporate social responsibility, and that serves as a legal tax shield for the organization. So there are so many ways for training to benefit the internal stakeholders or the employees and also the external stakeholders, which are your typical customers. So that those outputs uh, give me inspiration and strength to pursue my career as a, as a learning and organizational development practitioner. Okay. Speaking of being an artist and being on cam and everything, let me know of your thoughts about this because when I do train, I actually feed off the energy of my participants or you can call them your audience. Do you also do that as well? Do you feed off their energy? That's easy to say when you're doing a classroom training and that's easy to perform if it's in a classroom setting. But most, if not all of the trainings nowadays are being done online. Uh, learning participants through Google Meet, Microsoft Teams, Zoom, sometimes they turn off their cameras. Sometimes they mute themselves. You don't even know if they're participating anymore. So there's no energy to feed from in the first place. So how do we go about it? We can just like be robots speaking without knowing for sure if the learning participants are actually listening to us, right? Uh, there are a lot of ways for you to determine if participants are engaged or not. Number one, uh, there are tools nowadays wherein it randomly takes photos of you while you're engaged in a learning, a virtual learning session so that uh, the trainer sees from these randomly taken photos if you're participating or not. But for me, that becomes an enforcement of learning. It becomes a burden already. You're not naturally engaged to a learning. You're just there out of compliance. So where do I feed uh, my energy from? It's from the evaluation responses. Because that's really the best way to get feedback from learning participants. So take note, during the training itself, you don't know if they're engaged or not engaged, especially if it's virtual. But after the training, learning participants are asked to fill, uh, fill out an evaluation form. So from that evaluation form, I see the positive and negative comments. And I am very, well, for me, it's, it's constructive criticism. I look at the comments that ask the training participants, what do they like least about the training? And I try to improve myself from those responses. So that's where my energy comes from, continuous self-improvement. And uh, whatever responses I get from my previous training, I bring it as an improvement to my succeeding training runs. And that's the only way for, for all of us to be relevant as learning practitioners in various industries. There's really no one business model that will determine or let you produce the best training material ever available. It's always a continuous improvement. And the only way for you to be able to see that or gather that is through evaluation and feedback in sessions. So I've been very agile and iterative in terms of my training approach. I understand that I will not get this right the first time around. But as I progress in the learning material and from feedback, I can gradually and constantly improve. 
And for me, that's where I get the inspiration and energy to conduct better trainings in the future. I'm just curious. I also teach in college and do a lot of training as well. I often end up exhausted after, let's say I remember I can do two to three hours session if it's offline because I feed from the, the energy from the audience. But right now, during virtual talks, virtual sessions, training, it really exhausts me an hour kahit one hour lang, pagod na pagod na. So, what are your thoughts on that? Do you also experience the same? Yeah, of course. Before, I would conduct trainings for eight hours straight and I can still manage to conduct day two of that training, even day three, day four, day five. I remember conducting a sales training for five straight days almost every week and I'd still be okay. I'd still be physically recharged for the next batch or maybe I was younger at that time. But nowadays, when I conduct a one-hour session, two-hour session, I'm exhausted, just like you, Pat. And I think the reason is uh, not because of physical exhaustion, but because of mental unpredictability. You don't know what the participants are thinking of because you don't see their faces on the camera. They're not reciting. They're not participating. Their microphones are, are on mute. <laughs> so that process of you thinking, are they okay? Are they still engaged? Maybe they're already sleeping. <laughs> Maybe they're just uh, killing time. You don't know what's happening at the other side of the camera. So that takes its toll on you mentally as well. So I think that's where the exhaustion comes in or comes from. And uh, the only way for me to improve, as I've mentioned, are the evaluation responses for the succeeding batches. Actually, I like and, that. Uh, mental. Yeah, and, I've, mentally, and I've seen it in the evaluation responses. It has been slowly increasing in terms of ratings. Normally, when you ask for evaluation responses from the participant, it's a, you essentially ask three questions. So, rate this training from one to five. It's like an Uber or Grab rating. Like a scale one to five. One being the lowest, five being the highest. What do you like best about the training? So, that's like a short answer. And what do you like least about the training? That's another short answer. So, it's easier for us to digest as training practitioners when you read all of these responses. And uh, fortunately, when I gather feedback, my Likert scale, rating go from 1 to 5, it gets higher from 4.5. Succeeding training becomes 4.6, becomes 4.65. Because I looked at the ways I can improve. I look at the question, what do you like least about the training? The normal responses would be, walang food. Kasi nasanay sila before in the classroom training, may food. Ngayon, wala ng food. Another normal response, it's not their fault. It's the internet's fault. They have no internet. They cannot connect. It's intermediate connection. They cannot understand what I'm saying. And that's true. Most of the comments about them not liking the trainings because of internet connectivity. I remember uh, people are working from home. For all we know, they're, they're running errands while they're attending the training. They're in the grocery while they're attending the training. I don't know. So, internet really becomes a big factor nowadays. Right. Number three, there's no physical interaction. So, they don't feel connected with the class or with the trainer. So, those are the things that I see. So, what do I do? I come up with online games. I gamify learning. Yeah, so, there's, there are many platforms for that. Kahoot is one of them, uh, among others. Yeah. yeah, I love Kahoot as well. <laughs> we learn Kahoot, yeah. Yeah, uh, we're not, we now go to the next segment, which is the debunking part. Which leads me to my next question. What are the top three misconceptions about being a trainer? Okay. 
Yeah, number one, uh, trainers know it all. That's a misconception. For all you know, uh, the trainers just wing it. I, I just wing it most of the time. And uh, I just ask the right questions to be able to extract or elicit the, 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 the responses that are very contextualized or very substantiated. Number two, this is uh, controversial. People think that trainers have uh, a very, very high salary because you're a person of authority, right? So normally, you look up to your trainers. Ah, matasig yung sweldo nito. <laughs> Malaki ang sweldo. But uh, based on studies, the HR practitioner with the highest salary, and this is consistent across many studies locally and abroad, the highest practitioner with the, with, with the, the, the HR practitioner with the highest salary would be the OD, OD practitioner, organizational development. And fortunately, I, I also lead the, the learning and the organizational development department of the organization I work for. But uh, yeah, it's OD that has the highest salary, not the training department. It's just the, it just so happened that I, I lead both departments in the organization I work for. The reason why OD has the highest uh, salary generally, I'm not saying it's accurate for all departments or all organizations. It's just a, an industry average. It's because OD is a highly thinking job. Training is more than executing training, conducting, rolling out, facilitating training. OD is the thinking part. It's the part that thinks what training should be conducted based on the skills needed by the organization, uh, based on the capabilities that we're trying to develop as an organization. How do we map these trainings per rank, per tenure, uh, per role, per function? So that's the OD side of things. OD also does rewards and recognition, employee engagement, succession planning, promotions. Succession planning is crucial because you are determining the future leaders of the organization. Promotion is also crucial. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I know I'm a bit off topic, but I'd like to share this too. To, to your listeners, Pat, no? based on my experience, I've been doing this for many years. Uh, and I've observed this as well. Promotion is not solely based on who has the best performance in the organization. Promotion is also defined by many factors, like aside from performance, number two, attrition. You want to promote people who are about to leave the organization so they will not leave anymore. Because if they leave, that's additional cost for the organization. You have to train more people, especially if it's a new hire and there's a learning curve. And number three, promotion comes with cost. When you promote someone, there's a promotion increase in their salary. But the salary increase is just small. What organizations are looking into when they promote is actually your benefits. When you're promoted to a manager level, you automatically get a car subsidy worth 600,000 pesos, 500,000 pesos. And that's a one-time payment to the car dealer. So just imagine it. You're promoting and that promotion is worth 500,000 pesos. So promotion, based on my observ- observation and experience, is driven by three elements. Performance, attrition, and comp and ben costs. So that's my first misconception. Sure, trainers know it, uh, know it all. Uh, second, the misconception, uh, highest salary, which is kind of not true. It's actually OD. <laughs> based on industry averages or studies. Okay. My third, uh, yeah, go ahead. You want uh, me to share my third misconception? No, the first one is yeah. know it all, trainers yeah. know it all. The second yeah. one is 
trainers we have eyes, babe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the one is. We don't get tired. People think because we can speak for eight hours straight and just say anything under the sun, we don't get tired. Actually, it's a very tiring, physically taxing role. After a training conduct, we just want to sleep. We just want to have dinner. Sometimes we even have lunch because we're preparing the module. And obviously, when you guys have your AM snacks or PM snacks as learning participants, the trainers usually don't, don't join because we're, we're preparing the logistics side or we're, we're preparing the, the, the training content. It's a physically demanding role. So it's actually more appropriate for fresh graduates, uh, young professionals. But for people my age, fortunately, I now lead the team and they conduct the trainings. And these people are relatively younger than me because, again, it's physically demanding to just you know stand in front of everyone for eight hours straight and talk nonstop. Yeah, so the last one is trainers do get tired. Yeah, we... <laughs> That's a fact. Nagkakasakit pa. That's actually a proven instance based on data analytics. You see who who gets to file their sick leaves the most. And mostly it's from the training department. Okay. For my next question, uh, what's an undeniable fact about your job? The thing that's always going to be there? Okay. It's your voice. No? It's, it's literally your, your, your mouth, your throat. But uh, what's going to be always there is your comm skills and facilitation skills. Uh, I mentioned a while ago that we're shifting to being e-course developers, uh, storytelling, storyboarding, uh, programming because we have to create online courses. But we will always go back to having classroom-based or instructor-led trainings. The reason why I'm saying this is because companies are, of course, not letting go of their training rooms. In fact, in the organization that I'm part of, we're moving to another building by next year. And this building still has auditoriums, big training rooms. And uh, it was shown to me because I will be managing these training rooms. They're under the training department. And then it made me realize that classrooms will be here to stay. Uh, we will eventually go back to the somewhat to the to the old normal so you will always have to have your comm skills and facilitation skills and of course you need that for networking uh, i'll explain that further in detail later why you need networking as a skill not only comms and passive skills if uh, if, if if a question uh, elicits that response <laughs> oh done there will be that question for okay sure. thanks <laughs> this is an experiment. What do billionaires, cultural icons, and world-class athletes have in common? I'm about to find out. I'm John Aguilar, serial entrepreneur, former decathlete, and creator and host of the CNN Philippines business reality show, The Final Pitch. Each week, I try to unlock the secrets of Asia's world-class performers to come up with hacks that I can apply in my own life. My goal is to have you apply them in yours. This is the podcast designed to change your life. This is Methods to Greatness. So my next question is, when you read a job description about your profession, whether it's training or OD, what part of it makes you cringe? 
you know the generic uh, job descriptions you see online or in job ads what are the things that makes you cringe when you read such things right now i'm hiring for my team and nothing against the recruitment department because this is what we all know trainers have to be they have to be proficient in microsoft excel microsoft word microsoft powerpoint makes sense you need word to create handouts uh, makes sense you need excel to store your learning participants database because after training you have to store their registration data the attendance data you need to know who attended this training so that there's a sense of progression you can give them uh, rewards recognition for attending this and that we need uh, excel right we need word we need powerpoint obviously that's how you present your presentation but i'm cringing because there are so many other tools out there uh, instead of the basic PowerPoint, you can use Canva. You can use Prezi. So there are so many innovative presentation tools that you can use. Instead of Excel, maybe you can use Google Data Studio. You can use Microsoft Power Business Intelligence Publisher to be able to generate moving dashboards instead of your static uh, Excel cells. Uh, instead of Word, uh, maybe you can use a collaborative file via OneNote or Google Note to let people just put in their, their data there, their insights, instead of it being solely owned by one owner. So there are many tools. Let's not limit trainers to the usual Microsoft apps or tools. Another thing is I always see in the job description, home skills and passive skills. I know they will always be here to stay. But right now, especially during the pandemic, it's more than just your comms skills and passive skills. We need skills on computer science, motion graphic visualization, storyboarding, script writing, programming. Because we're now temporarily, or maybe in the long run, shifting to e-course development. You also need networking skills, the most important skill of a learning leader. And it's something I've realized maybe just recently in my career. I, I know for a fact that I've already acquired or obtained the past year in comp skills because I've been training for already, what, 10 years. But now that I'm leading the department, it's different. I no longer train. What I do, I connect with the department heads of the organization I work for. And I have conversations with them to determine what skills are needed by their people. And each department will require a different set of skills or competencies or capabilities for their people. It's not the same for these different departments. Marketing would want skills on product development, innovation, ingenuity, having an entrepreneurial spirit. IT would want to have skills on back-end development, front-end development, APIs, blockchains, uh, system integration. Then uh, CS would have different skills for selling, customer focus, uh, product, product knowledge. They need these things. Uh, the compliance department would have other skills that they need, integrity, yeah. uh, financial acumen, business acumen. So different skills for different departments. And you can just have one training that will serve as an umbrella for all of these skills. There is no one training for that. There is no generic learning pathway or competency mapping for that. Each department will have its own learning pathway for their people or a different or have their own personalized and customized competency mapping. So my role really nowadays is not to conduct the training, but to determine which trainings, which programs are relevant 
are substantial, are contextualized, are important and relatable to each department. That's why I need to have the networking skills because I have to be friends with all of these department heads. I have to know what they want. And for me to be able to roll out the trainings, I have to have their buy-in, their full support. And with networking skills, with com skills, I'll be able to create the partnership, the long-term and meaningful partnership with the department heads. Through that, you know, trainings to provide their people. So that's really essentially my role right now. Okay, speaking of role, we now transition to, um, to, the, to the last segment, which is the defining part. From your experiences, how would you define your job? All right. Now that uh, I've been in this kind of work for a good 12, 13 years, my role has shifted from being transactional or from being a trainer. Now it's more strategic. I have to strategize. I have to plan the, the learning rollouts per department, per rank, per function. And the only way for me to be able to know what these departments want from me is for me to actually engage with them. So that's where the strategy part comes in. I don't just conduct a training because it's the fad nowadays. It's also, it's not going to make a cut. You're not, you won't be able to cascade or share this, the right piece of information if you just cascade what's, what's the fad right now. Normally, what's cool right now are design thinking courses, Lean Six Sigma trainings, yellow belt, orange belt, black belt, agile trainings. They're, they're the in thing now. But uh, what if you work for a real estate company or a construction firm? Uh, you can't be agile when you build buildings. There has to be a definite plan <laughs> when you build buildings. So the approach is not agile. The approach is project management or waterfall or predictive. So you have to understand the business for you to be able to roll out the right trainings. Agile is not always the answer. The same with the project management is not always the answer. You have to understand the business. You have to understand work dynamics. You have to immerse yourself with the various departments so that you know what trainings you're supposed to roll out. And that's the strategy behind it. So it's no longer transactional. Besides, if you're transactional, just keep on repeating these trainings over and over again. There's no more time for you to innovate. So we have to break that cycle of being transactional and shift to being innovative and strategic. So that's my role. Strategy over transactional. Okay. I like that part. Uh, strategy over transactional. The next one is, as mentioned, you were discussing about, we were discussing about the skills and this is the skills part. What are the top three skills do you need for you to do the job? Well, I, I, try, I try to sum up what I've been saying in your podcast. The first one, of course, is comp skills. Especially if you're a trainer. You need the technical skills and the comp skills. So those, are, those two are kind of combined because you need to understand the content for you to be able to deliver it. So understanding is a technical part. Delivering is a comp skill part. Number two is the computer skills. Because right now, uh, we've, we're going digital, so we have to be abreast with tech, creating online courses. So that's where the computer skills come in. And number three would be a combination of networking and conceptual skills. That's where the strategic thinking comes in. And that's what uh, I've been trying to develop as a learning practitioner, to be able to have that strategy in place before I execute or implement the training program. 
so that I'm always aligned with the mission, vision of the organization. Okay, so it's comms, tech, and strat. Yeah, mm-hmm. comms, tech, and strat. Solid. Okay. Thanks for that. And then my next question is, this is one of my favorite questions here. You're basically mm-hmm. going to answer or fill in the blanks. If you are blank, then this job is not for you. If you, you are, are blank, blank, then this job okay. is for you. <laughs> if you have, no, if you have stage fright, then this job is not for you. <laughs> Don't even think about it. Yeah. <laughs> so well, why, why do you think so? Well, if you can't conduct trainings in front of an audience, then there's no way for you to move forward. Unless you skip that part of conducting to an audience and go straight to electronic course development. But then again, I keep on mentioning, we will always go back one way or another to classroom trainings, instructor-led trainings in the far future. And when that happens, you always have to have the ability to, to talk in front of an audience. That's why you have to remove your stage fright. <laughs> All right. Okay, now the next one is the opposite. If you are blank, then this job is for you. Again, if you are blank, then this job is for you. Seize the key. Confidence. If you are confident, then this job is for you. If you are confident, even though you don't know the actual training content, if you are confident to engage with top executives in the training classroom or a learning session and ask them the right questions, then this job is for you. If you're confident enough to understand your personal capabilities of adaptive learning, then this job is for you. You have to realize that it's an accumulation of knowledge as a trainer. It doesn't end with the learning content. You will always have something new to add to your existing content. And you have to understand that you have to always have space for added content in your mind. You don't. You should never run out of uh, learning space. So for me, you have to have confidence to understand your personal capabilities. You have to have confidence to speak to an audience, regardless of their rank. Because sometimes you have to conduct trainings for vice presidents, president of or the president himself or herself of the organization. Sometimes even to the board of directors. Sometimes even to the owners of the organization. And uh, I still get nervous when I, you know, I conduct training for the leadership team because from the onset, they already have more experience than me. But with confidence, I am able to pull it off. Confidence really is key. Yes, it's the key. <laughs> so I remember the story that you shared earlier. Earlier in your career, before you became a trainer, you mentioned that there was this part where they gave you a chance to lead a project, and that make that basically was your entry point to the into your career right now. So my last question is: What advice would you give to your younger self before you've entered this career, or before you've led that project that, uh, yeah. that gave you that break in terms of training? What advice would you give your younger self? Uh, this advice came from many mentors of mine in the past. And this is a consistent advice I've received from leaders, from mentors, from my coaches. It's a Vince. Before you execute, strategize first, conceptualize first, plan it first. Because uh, ever since when I was a trainer, I've been so used to being an individual contributor. When you're a trainer, you don't have people under you. No one really reports you because you're a, you're a trainer, soul of life. 
unless you have a co-trainer, but you know, the, the dynamics of having a co-trainer still doesn't make it uh, a leader and a uh, direct report relationship. So it was only a few years ago, maybe five, six years ago when I started being a line manager or a people manager. And it was only at that time when I realized that I should not execute first. Rather, I should strategize and plan it first. Why? Because when you execute first, number one, you won't get support. Number two, you're not collaborating. It's all by yourself. Number three, if you get it wrong, you have to do it all over again. And that is time-consuming and you get to exert twice the effort for the same amount of results. But when you strategize, you get to collaborate, get to get advice. People will help you out. When you plan and take a step back and see things from a bigger perspective or bigger picture, you understand the business better. Uh, my, my, actually, the way I do it is I intentionally connect with people who have more, who have longer tenures than me, who have higher ranks than me, who know better than me, so that I can learn from them. And that's how I strategize. I, I tell them this is my roadmap, this is my pathway, this is my direction for the department, this is what I think is the right strategy. And they give me feedback. Most of the time, it's for improvement. And I take it as constructive criticism. I don't take any offense at all when people tell me, you're not yet ready for this room. Rather, it inspires me. I received that comment many times over. Uh, in, in the last two years, I received it twice, three times. Because I'm very ambitious in my career. So people tell me, Vince, you're not yet ready to be a, a vice president or an assistant vice president. And that makes me work harder. And how do I work harder? By working smarter. By strategizing first before executing. And I've received that comment from many, many coaches in the past. So now it turned out to be better for me. But how I wish that I would have embraced strategy, uh, strategy conceptualization, planning uh, in my early years or in, my, in the early years of my career rather than in the, in the recent years of my career. It would have been uh, a lot better for me. All right. So guys, don't rush. Be patient. Take your time. Look at the bigger picture. See it from a bigger perspective. Understand the business before you implement, execute, or roll out a, a program. Whether it's a training program, it's an HR program, or a marketing program, or any other program in general. Okay. So the whole podcast, we've been defining the job of a learning and organization development leader. And I want to close off this segment or this podcast by asking you, what has this job ultimately given you? It has given me a, it has given me a deeper sense of purpose. When I, I don't only manage trainings. I, I also, before in my previous work, I also manage rewards and recognition, employee engagement. One of my rewards and recognition program uh, awarded team a branch, to be specific, and, uh, with the best branch of the year award. And before we awarded that award to them, it went through validation processes. It went through data gathering if they really had the best, uh, if they're really best in sales, best in operations. And we were able to determine that they're the winners of that award. So when we gave it to them in a virtual setup, these people, all these awardees, they were, they were crying jumping out of joy and then I realized I am part of their of their fulfillment because I also worked hard 
to be able to give the that award to the most deserving people. So it's a deeper sense of satisfaction. It made me realize I'm making people around me more empowered. Uh, I give them a deeper sense of purpose as well. I, I make them more engaged. I am actually given uh, a, a crucial role that empowers the employees of the organization. HR is tricky, especially training, because it's hard for you to determine if the organization is really earning from the training that you have conducted. In uh, the Kirkpatrick model, that's uh, it's the fourth level of evaluation. That's the hardest to evaluate if the business actually earned because you have provided more skills to the employees. Uh, it's also hard to determine if we have reduced our costs because you've made employees more process efficient. Something to that effect. It's hard to determine those quantitative elements of the business. But what I can see for sure is that we're able to improve the qualitative life of the employees, making them more engaged, uh, reducing attrition, giving them more knowledge, empowering them with more capabilities and competencies and skills, which they can use not only in the organization they're part of, but also in their personal life. And for me, that by itself, is something that truly inspires you as an HR practitioner, as a learning leader, as an organizational development uh, specialist. So I'm happy with my job. It's very fruitful. I've been very productive. My teammates have been very supportive. The organization also has to support you, and I'm grateful to have that kind of support from the leadership uh, team. So for others who would want to make a shift in their careers, training is for you if you would like to better the lives of your internal stakeholders. Ultimately, those are the employees of the organization. All right. Thank you so much. And that's basically a wrap. Job Define is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia. Check out all the shows in the network by visiting their socials at Podcast Network Asia or visiting their website at podcastnetwork.asia. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. <laughs>